Welcome to this edition of the Mersey Waves podcast brought to you by Liverpool City Council. I'm Paul Johnston from the communications team and in this episode we're talking about the coronavirus vaccine. We've got three guests who all had a role to play in the development of what's known as the Oxford AstraZeneca jab through trials at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. We'll be finding out more about its development and discovering what measures have been put in place to ensure it is safe. Our guests are Dr Hassan Buran, a respiratory specialist who has an honorary teaching position at the School of Tropical Medicine. He was on the management team for the trial and has also worked on hospital wards in Liverpool throughout COVID. Kelly Davis is the clinical trials manager at the School of Tropical Medicine. She worked on them. She knows all about the approvals process. And Sue Hawley is a health visitor who volunteered to be part of the trials. Dr Hassan, can I just start with you? Some people might be surprised to know that, that, that Liverpool had a role in developing the, 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 uh, the Oxford vaccine. Uh, yeah, we, we, we um, certainly did. And um, from my perspective, working on the wards and looking after patients, what's been really, one of the things that's been really amazing about this whole thing is how people, everyone's busy. Um, all the docs and nurses in the hospital are always busy. Uh, and research can sometimes be on the back burner because we're too busy looking after patients. Um, but it's amazing how people who um, not didn't have an interest in research but were, weren't actually doing much research got on board with the vaccine study and also the other studies that we've contributed to in terms of finding treatments. Um, so Liverpool had a big role. We recruited heavily to um, studies in patients that were admitted to hospital with COVID. Uh, we are also involved in studies in people with mild COVID out there in the community. And we had a huge role, which Kelly will be able to tell you in more detail about, in developing the, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. And you've obviously seen you know, both sides of it, haven't you? Because you've been actually on the wards treating patients with COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, so we are in the third wave in Liverpool now. Um, so in the first wave, it was everything stopped. We had patients, sorry, we had um, doctors that normally do things like dermatology and rheumatology on the wards. And, and towards the end of the first wave, we almost had more doctors than patients and research stopped. We had, we had a whole lot of people helping. Um, and uh, it, was, it was very different to how it is now. It was almost like a war. We didn't know what we were dealing with. We didn't know how to treat this. There weren't any treatments that had any evidence behind them. And there was no prospect at all of a vaccine. So it was, it was scary for everyone. Um, and then going from that to the, the second stage where we had a much better idea of what to do in terms of treatment and the vaccine studies being up and running, particularly the Oxford AstraZeneca one and a lot of staff certainly involved in those studies uh, to the third where, where we have more treatment and people are actually getting vaccinated. So I've seen the whole evolution um, from complete panic to but getting on with it to some treatments to now hopefully quite a few treatments and the prospects of mass vaccination. Now, Kelly, you actually um, managed the trial. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, how that actually started when did you first get wind that that was going to happen so we first um sort of had an idea that we may be um asked to be involved in the trial around early may time 
Um, and really that was um, on the back of our experience as a group of working on respiratory research already. Um, so we, um, we already run quite a lot of studies out of our group and we were also really interested in developing vaccines but specifically for pneumonia. Um, so it was quite, um, we were quite well placed to assist Oxford um, as becoming a site and we were eventually one of several sites across the UK that were chosen to participate in the study. And what, what was the scale of, you know, how many, you know, how many um, volunteers did you have? So overall, towards the end of the study, we uh, recruited over 900 uh, volunteers into the study. Uh, they were ranging from the ages of 18 right up to the over 70s group. And did you have any issues with finding enough people to come forward? No, we, we really didn't. Actually, it was uh, really refreshing to know that we already had, um, by the time we put out some comms to ask participants if they'd like to be involved, uh, we already had huge lists of people who were willing to uh, sign up and get involved in the study, and that was across all age ranges. And, and Sue, Sue Hawley, you are one of those people who came forward to, to volunteer. Um, what drove you to do that? And, and tell us a little bit about, you know, what was it like? Yeah, so um, as you said before, I'm a health visitor um, over in Halton working for Bridgewater. Um, we were emailed to ask would we be interested in participating in the trial. Um, so yeah, just put myself forward. You know, I was seeing the impact this was having on my own family, but also all the families that I work with. You know, I work with um, families with newborn babies and they were it was just so sad these mums and dads on their own at home and for me I just wanted it to end so I thought if I put myself on the trial it's a, a means to an end and hopefully we'll get this vaccination as quick as possible um it was it was fine a little bit scary because you didn't know what you were going into but everyone that worked there was so reassuring there was loads of tests beforehand um to make sure that you were suitable to be on the trial um and then you know when you went for your first vaccine it was so well managed we sat for half an hour afterwards and were monitored to make sure that we were okay um and i think i came out with a little spring in my step because we weren't told what we'd had and um, whether we had a placebo or whether we had the the covid vaccination but it just felt like the beginning of the end of all of this really um and you know we've it's it's been it's been quite a good process we've been swabbing every week from june um which you know it, it, that can be uh, quite difficult sometimes but actually it gives me peace of mind as well that every week i was getting a swab and knew if i if, if i had covid or not thankfully touch wood i've never caught it um so yeah it's it's been a real privilege to be part of it it really has and you've now been unblinded so you now know whether or not you had the placebo or the vaccine when did that happen and um, and what was the outcome so it happened uh, just after Christmas, uh, our trust brought out their vaccines and I was unblinded and I was really gutted because I'd had the placebo and not the vaccine. Um, so I have had, I've been really lucky, I've actually had my two vaccines now. Um, so, um, but I didn't have any kind of hesitation about going for it at all. And I'm also a vaccinator with our trust as well. So I've given other people the vaccine as well. In Halton, especially our health visiting services continued since, since the first lockdown. So we've continued going into people's houses. 
Um, we've continued managing the high numbers of safeguarding issues there are in the community um, and we've been there for all of our families so it's been really really important that this vaccine comes out as soon as possible and it's something we talk about to all of our families now you know we're public health specialist nurses we always talk about vaccines anyway as part of our role um, and this is just another addition now um, we do get asked about it quite a lot so we are especially in our team, we are all advocates for it, definitely. Kelly, can I just come back to you and ju just talk about, you know, what, what, it, what, it, what it felt like when you got to the, to, to, the, to the process when all of the evidence was, was, was submitted to the regulatory authority? How, you know, was that quite a, was that quite a nervous time for the team? Um, I, no, I, w I wouldn't say it was nervous. No, it was a real, it was a real relief and it was a really exciting time when we knew that we were at the, you know, we were really at the tail ends of such a, a huge project for our team to work on. And it just felt like, um, as Sue mentioned before, it just felt like it, it's the, you know, at the start of maybe the end of, of these horrible times and maybe we'll just bring, you know, something um, really much be better times for everyone. Now, one of the um, one of the things that I think, you know, puzzles a lot of people is how this has been able to be done so quickly. Um, because um, usually with vaccines, they are, you know, years in development. Um, this one has been turned around in record time. And I know that, you know, there's a lot there's a lot out there, particularly on social media, and people have naturally got questions about that. Why is it that it has been able to be turned around so fast? And you know, what what can you would you say to somebody who maybe had fears that corners have been cut? Um, no, I mean, I think it would be understandable to perhaps question why um, this vaccine, rather than others, was um, managed to be produced in in a record time. But if you only have to look at the the elements that make up um, a clinical trial normally. Um, so things like funding, for example, at the beginning of any clinical trial or study, you have to apply for funding, for example, and that can sometimes take up to, it can, it can take years, in fact, for funding to be put in place. Um, I mean, obviously the whole world and, you know, the government were, were all so willing to invest heavily, of course, in this vaccine. So that, that was, that, that made that part of the process extremely quick. Um, and I think it's also important to say um, that the, the technology that the AstraZeneca vaccine, um, a lot of the work um, that is done sort of pre, pre the, the vaccine was already actually um, done by the group at Oxford. So they had already um, sort of looked into a, a disease X as such and were, were already making plans for a vaccine for a, for a disease of, of a similar type to this. So again, that really helped um, to speed things along. And in terms of the regulation of the study, and um, so our, our regulator in the UK, which is the MHRA, um, they normally, when they're reviewing clinical trials, they review data on a, a sort of set the fixed time points and things always follow on one from the other. And um, what was happening with a lot of the, um, the areas of the clinical trials that things were run in parallel rather than sequential one after the other. And the MHRA were reviewing the data that all you know, Oxford and all of the sites were sending to them on a on a real rolling basis, and that was that that was a, on a weekly basis at some points. So again, that that really really helped to speed up the process. And while while all along not not cutting any corners at all in those processes, still all of the rigorous processes that you would normally follow were still adhered to. And we're hearing um, more now um, about different variants of of COVID. 
will this vaccine be effective? How easy is it to tweak a vaccine if, if, the, uh, if the scientists need to do that? Um, so it can be done. So, so as Kelly was saying, the platform, so if you think of a kind of um, uh, the, the carrier for the bit of the virus that we're trying to generate an immune response to is there already. So if the virus were to mutate and the outside, you've, you've seen pictures of the coronavirus like a tennis ball with spikes on. If those spikes were to change, it would require um, some work, but it's not impossible to do. And, and following on from Kelly's point, one of the reasons this happened so quickly is, is the carrier was there already, a lot of the work had been done, and also the whole world stopped. So from everything, the university closed, the kind of things that are a nightmare normally, where to park your car, became really easy. Um, so everyone was dedicated to this. People were staying up all night. People weren't able to do what they were normally doing. And that's why it happened so quickly. So for the moment, this vaccine is absolutely fine. If changes were to occur in the future, we are several steps ahead of where we were back in March, April, May last year. So changes can be made if necessary um, in the future. But for now, um, everyone should get vaccinated. And, and just, just in terms of you know, people's concerns about safety, working on the ward and working as part of the, uh, the study team for the vaccine, um, I have seen without a doubt the risks of getting COVID-19. And I've seen people die from it and I've seen people get very sick from it. So the, any kind of possible risk in people's minds is a possible risk. Whereas COVID-19 is a very, very real risk. So I just want to make that point. And do you believe that um, the vaccine, how much of it is the vaccine the answer to the situation that we're in? Or is it just part of the answer? Um, so I think it's a huge part of the answer. Uh, it's an absolutely huge part of the answer. Um, so in terms of treatments, there are studies going on, like the recovery trial, um, and there are uh, big platform studies going on to look for treatments, but the real solution, the real problem we had the first time around, as I said, the world stopped. So the people, the kind of people we were normally seeing on the respiratory wards just disappeared. And I don't believe that they, you know, that their chronic conditions were suddenly solved. It's just that they were too scared to come into hospital and weren't coming into hospital. So the real danger from COVID-19 and the real reason that the shops are closed and life isn't carrying on as normal is, we, we can't get into a situation where the hospital is so full that people die of things that could easily be treated. So I think um, vaccinating people, reducing um, the numbers of people that require hospital admission is the real key to preventing avoidable harm. And I think vaccination is, a, is uh, really by far the biggest thing that we have. So we, we are trying to stop people coming into hospital and that's where the benefits are to be made rather than that's that's where we all need to focus as well as obviously the people that unfortunately do come into hospital there are ongoing studies and ongoing research and we have some treatments that um, are the fruit of the research that we've conducted but really keeping the hospital numbers down or getting the hospital numbers down is is the key and vaccination is the key to that and how quickly do you see life changing i mean you know in a year's time where, where do you, I know this is a bit crystal ball, but you know, where do you feel that we might be in a year from now? So, so um, what, what I would hope is um, that we would be in a position where um, we could return to normal. So I'm talking about the, the hospital. 
So my main concern is if, if COVID was a mild disease and people took a few weeks off work and, and weren't, you know, taking up intensive care beds and becoming really sick and, and as I said, compromising the way the hospital works, that'd be a different situation. If we can get to the stage where there are very few people in hospital with COVID, where we have rapid tests, um, so isolation periods are, are limited and we can, we can see people as normal as we would in hospital because we can test them, and where we have the vast majority of the population vaccinated, so people that are at high risk of death aren't dying and high risk of coming into hospital, then I think that would be amazing. So if, if shops were to open, restaurants were to open, um, that would be great. I'm not sure that we'll be free of um, face masks and uh, I don't think things will be entirely back to normal in the year's time, but I'm hoping that the economy will be able to recover. We can kind of do things that we normally did um, and that we'll be able to run hospital services safely. That, that was, that's what I would hope for in a year's time. And I think in terms of research as well, um, go, looking forward to the near future. Um, I think, as I mentioned before, the amount of investment um, that is, is being put into research at the moment, in, in particular um, COVID research, you know, hopefully we'll see a lot more um, studies in the future for, for COVID and for other respiratory diseases as well. Um, and we'll, we'll really sort of, you know, be able to, to dig much deeper um, into the virus and potentially more treatments in the future, as, Han, as Sam mentioned. And I also think that one of the benefits in terms of um, what's going to happen in a year or two's time is research will become really embedded on the wards. And rather than everyone, as I said, was, was um, getting involved in research because we had no treatments. Um, so hopefully some of that energy will be maintained and we'll be able to carry on doing research as part of our daily clinical life, even more so than we did before this and, and, and find treatments for other respiratory and other diseases. I, I think I think one of the things that, did, that struck me is the fact that you know we, we've all, we, you know here in Liverpool we have got this amazing facility at, at the School of, of Tropical Medicine. It must make you feel you know incredibly proud. Yeah, I, I felt it a huge. Um, I've, I've really really felt so so proud to be able to be um, involved in in this study as uh, and other studies as well, but but this study in particular. Um, it, it's just be, it's been a real pleasure uh, to work on this study. It's, be, it's been tough, you know, and as, as I mentioned, people, you know, the reason why things happen so quickly because people have dedicated so much of their time um, to working on these studies, as have the participants as well. Um, but it's just it's just been such a such a privilege to be able to work on the study. And um, you know, I've had a, a personal experience of a loss um, due to COVID within my family, and it was just we. we um, my father-in-law uh, was vaccinated last week, and that was just a real, a real moment. It was, you know, quite a, quite a bittersweet moment for our family because, um, unfortunately, it was our mother, my mother-in-law, who passed away, and um, she of COVID, and she was obviously unable to, to have been vaccinated in time. Um, and it, it was a bittersweet moment to, to see my father-in-law being vaccinated, and I, I know that just she just was being really proud of the work of the people of, of Liverpool and. The, the participants who've, who've helped get this study off the ground. So um, what would your message be to, to somebody who's maybe a bit sceptical about taking up the vaccine? What would you say to them? Um, I understand that people are worried because it's an unknown, it's a new vaccine, but just go for it, go and have it done. You know, it, it, we've got to do something because we can't live like this forever. And you know, the, the research is there. I've read papers, I've done done research as a nurse myself, um, and there was nothing in it that 
particularly worried me. I think, you know, personally, I think it's very safe. Um, and it's just been such a humbling experience to, to be a part of this and to be, you know, to be allowed to be a part of this. Um, so, you know, as many people as possible just need to go out and get, get this vaccine and let's get back to some kind of normal life. Because the impact of this, it's not just about now, it's about we're going to see the impact of this for years. You know, we're already seeing a massive impact in our local community um, with regards to children, you know, um, finances, mental health education this is going to go on for a long time so the quicker we can get on top of it the better really um you know we've got to make make the world it's a bit of a cliche but make the world a better place for our children and can i just ask sue did you have any side effects when you had the job <laughs> um no not really i had i've had a bit of a headache this morning not feeling amazing today um but other than a bit of tiredness and a sore arm no can I just say something from, from the um, black and minority ethnic um, perspective? So, so I was on the COVID ward two weeks ago and of 13 patients on the ward that I was um, working on, uh, six were from, uh, were, weren't white, which is a much bigger proportion in terms of what the population of Liverpool is. Uh, and, um, there's, there's a lot of hesitancy out there in terms of taking the vaccine. I would just repeat, this disease is real. People from non-white uh, ethnicities are at greater risk of death. Um, there's a uh, paper from London suggesting somewhere between 1.5 and 1.7 times more likely to die uh, than age and sex matched uh, white people. Uh, in terms of the study that we did, I think we had about 13% of the participants were from non-white backgrounds. This study has been tested in people that aren't white, and it's really important for not just non-white people, obviously, but I know there's a lot of skepticism in the uh, black and minority ethnic community, and it's really, really important that people take the vaccine. And just to reiterate the point, any risks, this is safe. Um, I know that from, from uh, my research and clinical perspective, any risks are perceived. Nothing is completely without risk, but the risk of COVID is real and people are dying from it, unfortunately. Thank you to all of our guests, Dr. Hassan Buran, Kelly Davis and Sue Hawley. And thanks to you for listening. We love to hear your feedback about Mersey Waves, so don't hesitate to get in touch through email. Our address is hello at merseywaves.com. 